Welcome to the Global Village Law and Money Podcast, where we help foreign nationals build a successful life in the United States. I'm your host, Shannon McNulty, a tax and estate attorney in New York City, and I'm joined by my co-host, Steve Maggi, an immigration attorney in St. Petersburg, Florida. In each episode, we share insights gained from advising thousands of foreign nationals moving to or living in the United States. From how to get a green card to saving money on taxes, we provide valuable tips on building wealth, protecting your family, and navigating the U.S. immigration system. We're so glad you could join us today. Let's get started. Welcome to today's episode where we're going to be discussing basic concepts in U.S. immigration from visas and status to green cards and citizenship. And Steve, our immigration expert, is going to help us navigate through this thicket of different concepts and lingo. I think immigration is one of the areas of law where there's like more acronyms and different lingo than almost any other area of law. So I think that's confusing a lot of times even to lawyers. So never mind for who are like actually trying to go through this process. Yeah, I think it really is life altering if you get the wrong advice or you assume you know something, even something very basic like a visa versus a visa status, because then if you miscalculate or you make life decisions based on your understanding, it's not verified by an expert or not part of a plan. And you and I always talk about having a short term and a long term plan and pre-immigration planning and while you're in the U.S. and then if you're leaving, what's your plan when you exit? All these things have to be part of that analysis because otherwise you could jeopardize your future plans if you make a mistake by confusing these concepts or taking the wrong actions. Yeah, absolutely. And it could be devastating to know people inadvertently lose their visa or anything like that as well. So, So I think this is going to be super helpful. Great. So one of the first questions I have is, what is the difference between status and a visa? Does visa give you automatically, like you can come and live here and you have legitimate status? What is that? Or immigration status? What what is that? Can you tell us? All right. So yeah, you you kind of hit it on on the head there where they are related. They're separate but related. So for example, let's say you know someone who gets a student visa. It's called an F1 visa. They come into the U.S., so they get an appointment at the embassy and they get a physical visa stamp. That visa stamp is what allows them to enter the United States with the rights and privileges that correspond to that specific visa category. So if they come in on a student visa, an F-1, it means that they've applied to some sort of educational institution in the U.S., gotten authorization through what's called an I-20 form, And then they've gotten an appointment at whatever their home embassy around the world is, U.S. embassy in that country, and they get a stamp. They're approved for F-1 status. When they enter the U.S., that's the status that's given to them. So they can't just start working off campus or start a business or do things that correspond to to a different visa. They can only do what's allowed under that visa status. But let's say that they get a job offer from a U.S. employer when they graduate. They get something called optional practical training, OPT, that allows them to work. And then maybe they get an offer from that employer to stay and they do what's called an H-1B visa application. They change their status. Okay, this is a good example because they can change from one status to the other, but that's within the United States. 
If then grandma gets sick or something happens at home and they need to leave the U.S., that change of status doesn't apply anymore. It's only valid for when they're in the U.S. So that's the status that goes with an H-1B category. But in order to re-enter with the rights and privileges of an H-1B, they need to get a visa stamp. That's where the difference is. You need to make sure that you're always complying with the law. And if you change your status, then you need to get a new visa only when you're outside the United States. Some people actually stay in the U.S. for many years and change their statuses and maybe do what's called an adjustment of status, which we'll talk about later, which gets them a green card. But as long as they're in status in the United States, they don't need a visa. Some people ask, do I need to leave now and get my visa? No, actually, you only need to get the visa when you've left. So the best thing to do is to plan accordingly, get an appointment if you have to travel, and then you come back and you're able to go right back to work or right back to study or whatever you need to do with that specific visa. So the visa is really like how to gain entry, what the terms are upon entry of like you have this visa and this visa allows you to do X, Y, Z, and that allows you into the country. And then once you're in the country, then you could change your status. So kind of like a different visa type, but is it called a visa at that point? Yeah, so a a different visa status, like it corresponds to a different visa category. There is an exception, though. That's what's called the visa waiver program. And so sometimes you'll meet people that will say, I'm here visiting the U.S., but they don't actually have a visa because they're from one of 39 countries that participates in this program. The Department of State looks at the denial rates in the embassies for tourist visas or what's called business visitor visas. It's called B1, B2. And if the denial rates are under 4%, meaning that they're essentially, they're approving almost everyone from that country, then they might put them on the list of visa waiver countries. And that means that they apply online through a system called ESTA, ESTA, and they can get a two-year privilege to come in and out of the United States for up to 90 days at a time without actually having a visa. Here's the catch, and there's always a catch, right, Shannon, with the law, is they cannot change their status because they don't actually have a visa status. Their visa is waived. So they have the rights to come in as a business visitor or as a tourist for up to 90 days at a time, but they cannot change their status. And that's where the nuances of what we do are important because if somebody contacts you from Chile, let's say, or from Luxembourg, and they say, I want to visit the United States, you can say, or I'll say to them, apply through the ESTA you know, website for the visa waiver program. They get the status, but I'll let them know when you come in, you do not actually have a visa. You cannot change your status. You just have the ability to enter through this program. And so that's where knowing where a person is from, there are a lot of different treatments that people get and advantages to being from certain countries or holding a passport from certain countries. And that's a great example. So what I talked about in terms of visa and visa status applies except for business visitors and tourists who are coming in through that visa waiver program. So if they're just planning to come for short-term business purposes or for tourism, then it's a great, not to not have to get the visa is, is great, right? Because it, it's yes. kind of a big hassle to get that. They shouldn't plan to stay or change to a different visa or anything like that once they're here. They really have to go right, back because to they, their they can't. They won't be able to. So they need to know that before they come in. So that's important for us to let them know as attorneys before, as they're planning, 
what is their actual purpose, right? And usually people have one specific purpose each time they enter and not a second purpose, because then you're going into what's called inferred intent. So if you come in with a visa, let's say a student visa, and they interview you at JFK airport and they say, what are your plans? And you say, I'm going to study, but really I want to work for my uncle who has a mechanic shop, an auto body shop. And they're going to say, well, that's not what you're authorized to do. So we're not letting you into the U.S., right? So you have to be very careful when you give a message. There are different things that happen in the immigration system and they work differently. The different parts work separately. So just because you have a visa that's given to you by the embassy, which is part of Department of State, doesn't mean that Customs and Border Protection, which is when you get to a border or what's called a port of entry, will necessarily let you in. If you say the wrong thing or if you express an interest or an intention that does not correspond to that specific visa or to your visa waiver. So you have to be very careful about your messaging and make sure it's also consistent with what's allowed with your specific visa. Okay, great. So I think that's just a good example of that. It's really a good idea to talk to an immigration attorney if you're going through this process, even just to counsel you and give you a heads up as to, okay, you may have an interview when you get into the country and make sure that whatever you're saying is consistent with the terms of the visa, which are, and making sure that they clearly understand that. Yeah, and we don't want to scare our viewers, but it's important for them to also understand that the documents they bring to back up what they're doing. So if they, for example, say that there's somebody from the Netherlands and they work for a Dutch company and they're coming to the U.S. for business meetings with customers of that Dutch company, it's good to bring the emails that confirm their meetings, their hotel reservations to show that, you know, how long they're actually going to stay that lines up with the intention of that because otherwise they could be denied. And they actually sometimes check people's laptops, their telephones, they check their emails, anything that's available or on their body or in their luggage, they can they can review all that. And so you want to make sure that if you're saying you're coming in for pleasure, that you don't have a fiance who is a U.S. citizen that wrote you a loving email saying, I can't wait till you come so we can get married. You have to be very careful that you are covering your tracks and that you're consistent in your messaging and that your documentation shows that. So important for our listeners, anybody who is getting a visa or maybe is in the country and looking to change their status to something else. So the visa is, and I think it's like I've gotten them for other countries before. It's like a piece of paper that is pasted onto your passport, right? Yeah. In this case, they take a page of your passport and they put the visa stamp on it and it has things like the start date and the expiration date. And then what your responsibility is, and this is very important for people to know, when they enter the U.S., they're going to get a stamp from the CBP, the Customs and Border Protection Officer. They need to make sure that that officer is stamping it correctly, because sometimes they will put the wrong visa stamp on there. Oh, my goodness. And it's important for people to understand that they can limit the amount of time that you're allowed. And just because you have a five-year or a 10-year visa doesn't mean that's how long you can stay in the U.S., right? Each visa has a specific expiration in terms of authorized stay date. And so that's where the most important thing that I would say, and we'll talk about this later as a take-home, but there's something called the I-94. And it used to be a piece of paper that they would take off your actual visa. 
when you would come in, they would give you a piece of paper and they would take off and it would say when the expiration is on it written. Now it's all electronic. So you can take your passport, type in your basic information on the CBP website, I-94, latest entry, most recent entry, and it'll tell you authorized day until. And that is the magic date that you need to leave the U.S. by or submit what's called the change of status, like we talked about, to something else. If you overstay that, then you can get yourself in big trouble. You can get a warning that you need to leave. And then when you have to apply for a future visa or when you come in again, they might say, we don't believe that your intention was real or we believe that you were working without authorization because you overstayed. And when it comes to visa waiver, literally one minute past midnight on day 91 means you overstayed and they will cancel your ESTA your visa waiver privileges, and then you have to justify a visa application. So these things, you have to be very careful to look at that I-94 every time you enter the U.S. to make sure you have it on your calendar. I need to leave by this date or submit a change of status petition. All of these details are so important because it seems to me in immigration, like just a little thing and you could really jeopardize your immigration status. Yeah, all that Customs and Border Protection needs is essentially a suspicion that they can somehow be able to justify if it doesn't pass what I call the smell test. If they think something is a little bit fishy, if they think that your intention is to work, then you get sent to secondary inspection and they will ask you a series of questions over and over to lead you to that answer that allows them to justify you being returned to your home country. And then you might be barred for five or even 10 years and you might not ever get another visa. So I'm not trying to scare people. What I'm trying to do is make sure that they don't take these things lightly and that they are prepared for these steps. Yes, absolutely. We want to make sure that they're absolutely prepared. And again, get an immigration lawyer to help you with this and even just to check in and make sure, okay, I'm leaving the country. Is this permitted on my visa? Am I going to be able to get back in? All of these things, I feel like anytime, unless you have a green card or permanent residence, and we could talk about that, that I feel like the visa issues are just so easy to trip those up. Absolutely. The system's designed really to trip people up so then they can't be able to continue or to come back. And we really, have, it's, it's sad to say that, but that's, a, that's our reality right now is we have to be extra careful. Getting to permanent residence, green card, was that the same thing? I feel like people talk about a green card and I mean, is it yeah. green? What, what? It's a very yeah, you know what? That's, a, that's a good point. The green card is the term that's used for the physical document that confirms that somebody is a permanent resident of the United States. Being a permanent resident means that you no longer are required to have a visa. And it's a middle ground between U.S. citizenship and what's called non-immigrant or temporary visa status. So that's obtained in a myriad number of ways. We could talk about that in another episode. But the important distinction is that if you've transitioned to green card, you don't really have to do anything else in terms of immigration except potentially apply for citizenship if you're married to a U.S. citizen spouse in three years or in all other cases in five years as a resident. But there is a caveat, as you know very well, helping people with trust and estates planning and the things that border on tax issues, you are required to make the U.S. your permanent residence, meaning your principal residence, meaning the expectation is 183 days or more a year that you're physically in the United States, that that is your principal residence. If you go away from that and you develop a track record where you're spending 
little time in the U.S. and they think that your intent is really to live somewhere else and it's not just a temporary thing, they can cancel your green card and then you have to start all over. And there's a misnomer that the green card, once you have it, if you lose it, you can just reactivate it. That is not true. So if you're somebody, for example, that's sponsored by Google, well, maybe that's a bad example because they've let so many people go and cancel their green card petition. But let's say you have an employer that sponsors you and you get a green card. Then you spend a lot of time in your home country and you're not really residing permanently in the U.S. You can get to a port of entry and they can say, we believe that you've abandoned your residence. We're revoking your green card. And you can't just apply again. You have to go through the entire laborious process of getting sponsored again. And most likely you're not even working for that employer anymore. Or maybe you were sponsored by a spouse and now you're divorced. You're in trouble. So you have to make sure that when you do go to green card status or permanent residence, you're ready to make the U.S. your home, at least for that requisite amount of time you need to qualify for citizenship. Ironically, I'm a dual citizen, so I'm a good example of this. You can, once you're a U.S. citizen, you can leave the U.S. and never come back and still be a U.S. citizen. So there's no residence requirements. Green card holders, it's the only one of those categories between temporary visa and citizenship where you absolutely must comply with having the U.S. be your principal residence. And one last thing I would say is people think that the card itself is what gives you permanent resident status. That is not true. You could have your green card expire. That doesn't mean you're no longer a permanent resident. It just means you don't have proof that you are. And so you can still apply for a new one. And some people freak out because they think, oh my, they didn't look at it and they say, oh my God, this just expired. I have no, I'm not a green card holder anymore. I'm not a permanent resident anymore. That is not true. So that's my free piece of advice today. Make sure you're renewing it before it expires. And if you want real freedom, make sure you apply for citizenship. Great material and great thoughts. So why don't you tell us, actually, before we kind of start wrapping up, what is the difference then between an, I've heard of this, an immigrant visa and a non-immigrant visa? Okay, so a non-immigrant visa is what we've already discussed, which could be a tourist visa, student visa, in a lot of cases, work-related visas. There are a lot of what are called employment-based temporary visas. So you hear H-1B, L-1, E-2, O-1s that are used by a lot of people who are recognized in their field, in different fields. Those are the principal non-immigrant visas that are used by people to work temporarily. So their employment and their status, like we talked about in the U.S., is completely related to and dependent on their sponsor and their employment situation. So if you lose your job, you have a very limited window to change sponsors. And if you can't do that, you have to leave. If you get an immigrant visa, you're applying outside the United States for it. So a company or a family member is sponsoring you, or you applied for what's called an EB-5 program where you invested a significant amount of money in a project that creates jobs or you did what's called an extraordinary ability self-sponsored green card. There's a number of good ones that we use for our clients, but you're outside the United States. When you get that immigrant visa, it's not temporary, it's permanent. It gives you all the rights and privileges that a green card holder has. And within a few months of being in the United States, you will actually receive your green card. So that's the difference. Non-immigrant visa is temporary. It's usually tied to an employer. Immigrant visa, once you have it and you enter it, you have six months to use it to enter the U.S., you are essentially a green card holder and a permanent resident. That's a huge difference. And a lot of people have a problem with this. How do I go from temporary or non-immigrant visa 
to the immigrant visa or green card. Green cards are, are received directly when the, when the person is in the United States and they're in what's called a non-immigrant visa status. So let's say H-1B, like we mentioned for an engineer, they get sponsored for a green card. They do once that immigrant visa petition is approved, instead of being processed in Beijing or New Delhi or somewhere else, they are in the U.S. So they do what's called an adjustment of status. And that allows them to transition to a green card directly. So that's a big misnomer too. change of status. We talked about it before. Temporary visa status to a different temporary visa status. Adjustment of status means temporary visa status to permanent resident status. And that's a huge difference. And that's ultimately the end goal for a lot of our clients, right, is to get that green card so they can breathe easy that they don't have to keep worrying about their visa status. Yeah, absolutely. The immigrant visas are visas that are definitely kind of like a precursor to a green card. They're essentially the same thing, except after you get them, you get the physical green card in the United States. They allow you to enter as a permanent resident. Okay. So it is a permanent resident. Correct. It's a temporary versus permanent. That's non-immigrant versus immigrants. Okay. And for those visas, they stay that same visa. If it's like an extraordinary ability or something like that, it stays that same visa status or it, they no, change. No, actually. So because resident. you get an immigrant visa, then you get a green card in the mail. Then okay. you're a permanent resident. You're not even required necessarily to continue to work for the employer that sponsored you or to do what you said you were going to do. You might change career tracks. You might retire. My first EB1 immigrant visa case a long time ago was for this guy who was an executive for many important companies, and he wanted to start a new business. And I got him the immigrant visa. He went to Hawaii to celebrate coming in as a permanent resident. And he called me from Waikiki and he said, I've decided I'm going to retire on the beach. You know, you're not tied to an employer necessarily, and there's not a status that comes with it. It's literally just permanent resident. That's it. You're free and clear at that point. That's why so many people want it. So interesting. And what is a dual intent? Is that a concept? That- dual intent is, uh, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but there are a few visas where you are expected to eventually get a green card. And so that allows you, let's say you're on what's called an L1A, which is for a manager or executive that comes from a foreign company to a U.S. subsidiary to work in the U.S. company. That has a a track called EB1, which they assume that you are going to eventually be sponsored for a green card. And that means that you can apply for the green card and still maintain your underlying status by extending that L1 they assume that that's the plan. So sometimes with other visas, the timing is what matters most because you have to go through the green card process before your visa expires. Because then if you've applied for an immigrant visa, right, you're doing what's called demonstrating immigrant intent. And there are certain visas like an E2 where you're required to say that you're going to go back to your home country when you finish. So that makes it really complicated to transfer your status or to adjust to a green card. H-1Bs and L-1s have what's called dual intent. So it doesn't matter in which order you do everything. Once you're in the U.S., you can continue to extend your visa status no matter how many years it takes to get your eventual green card. And that's really important for H-1Bs because Indian and Chinese nationals have a very long backlog of more than a decade. And so if that dual intent wasn't allowed, 
then they wouldn't be able to eventually get their green card. So that's where it applies in those specific cases. So you just need to make sure if you're having a short-term and long-term plan from temporary to permanent, like you said, or a non-immigrant to immigrant, that you have the right visa to do that and that the timing of the different petitions is correct. So all of this has to be done in the right order, keeping in mind what the visa status is, what's permitted, what's not permitted. Otherwise, you could end up moving back to your home country, which you didn't want to do because you have kids and a wife or a husband that are in the U.S. and have made their lives there and you don't want to have to upend everything and go home, right? So that's why the planning and the understanding of these what seem like basic concepts that it's very clear and part of the strategy. So this has been really helpful. And I think maybe in our next episode, we'll talk about, is it a good idea to apply for citizenship or an adjustment of status and and these kinds of things? Because there's one thing about kind of the immigration piece of it, of whether you can and whether you qualify. And then there are other implications as well, particularly tax implications. So it would be interesting maybe next to talk about that issue. So before we wrap up, if you can just share with our listeners maybe three takeaways from our discussion today. Okay, so I think that the first one is that you need to make sure that you check that I-94 that we talked about. Every time you enter the U.S., check it, make sure it's correct, that it corresponds to the right visa. And most importantly, what is the authorized stay expiration date? Because you need to make sure that you always comply with that. If you're applying for a visa waiver, this would be the second one. Make sure that your plans are not to then change status because you won't be able to. And so think about short term, which visa do I need that meets my long term goals, right? And I think that leads into number three. The last take home lesson is don't think short term unless your goal is only to be a tourist and to never work or study or be a trainee or an intern or to live permanently in the U.S., then you need to plan. If all your goals are short term and just to visit, then you need to make sure that you're prepared for your interview if you need an interview and that you know what to say when you come in. But otherwise, what you need to do is have a short term and a long term plan that takes into consideration all these different concepts that we talked about today. Otherwise, you could jeopardize your and perhaps your family's future. This has been really great having this discussion and hopefully it has been helpful to our listeners. And thank you so much for sharing your expertise on the immigration system and look forward to uh, our next episode. Same, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Global Village Law & Money Podcast. For more tips on protecting your family and building wealth in the US, subscribe to the Global Village Law & Money Newsletter by visiting www.globalvillagelaw.com.